John chapter 11. Let me, if I can, let me encourage the church here and kind of explain a little bit about how, um, my, what my mindset is when it comes to uh, preaching. Sunday morning, if um, you attend church on Sunday morning, you'll notice that the sermons have a, a gospel slant to them, most of them. We give the gospel a lot on Sunday mornings. And the reason for that is that we have a lot of folks, if, if someone's going to visit, generally it's going to be on a Sunday morning. And we we want to make sure that people that come to our church hear the gospel. The other thing we do on Sunday mornings is we uh, bring messages that encourage people who are going through a tough time. And uh, life has a way of kicking us all in the mouth. And uh, sometimes Christians get discouraged and they quit coming to church or they give up on God. And so uh, there's a lot of sermons that are meant to encourage you. Sunday morning is probably the closest thing to the milk of the word that I give. It is probably, the, uh, it is probably more milk uh, than anything. Sunday evening is a different flavor to the preaching. If you've been saved for a bit and you want to grow deeper in your knowledge of the Bible, you want to be challenged to live the Christian life in a way that's godly, Sunday evenings is, a, is the place for you to be. You need to be here Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. There's a different flavor. There's a different uh, direction uh, to the preaching on Sunday evenings. And so let me really encourage you to come on Sunday evenings if you can. And that will help you to begin to grow even more in your faith. Uh, Some people, I believe, the biggest reason why people quit going to church is they just flat out get bored with church. It's the same routine. Uh, They think they've heard all the stories and they've heard all the truths. And so they quit coming because they get bored with it. Well, there's a, several things that are wrong with that mindset. But one of those is if you only come on Sunday morning and you're not coming on Sunday nights and you can't grow. I understand that for some of you here, you, you feel as though your schedule is so crowded and pressured that you need your Sunday evenings to kind of catch a catch break before you go back to church or go back to work on Monday uh, but I would encourage you to get some rest on the, in the afternoon when you can, and then if you need to scoot out as soon as church is over, that's great. But it will really help you grow, and I think that in order for you to have anything, you've got to make an investment, right? You don't get anything good in life without it costing you something. And so if you're going to become more like Christ, you've got to make an investment, and that investment would be well spent uh, at White Oak Baptist Church each Sunday evening at 6 o'clock in the evening. So do your best to be here. Uh, tonight, we're going to begin a new series of sermons on Sunday evenings, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the doctrine of theology. You say, what is theology? Theology is the study of God the Father. So we're going to be looking in great depth at who God the Father is and how that he isn't just some distant being who doesn't care about you, or he's not just some um, mean ogre with a stick in his hand waiting to hit you over the head when you do wrong. Um, the more you can understand who God the Father is, boy, the more the Bible starts to make sense. So we're going to focus in tonight and look uh, very carefully at a passage in Psalm about how powerful God is and what he does with that power and how it affects you personally today. So uh, be here uh, tonight if you can at 6 o'clock. John 11, let's stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading from verse 20 down through verse number 27. 
I'll begin in verse 20. We'll read the verses with an odd number to them together. I'll read the verses with an even number uh, alone. Beginning in verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. The title of the message this morning is simply this, When Jesus Comes to Town. When Jesus Comes to Town. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning as we look carefully at your word. Lord, let the Bible do the preaching to us. And Lord, as we make it applicable and understandable and relatable, Lord, I pray that the, the, the screw of truth would be tightened down in our heart and that error would flee. Lord, that we would um, seek to cleanse ourselves, clean ourselves up by your truth, the truth of your word. And Lord, if there's somebody here that feels disappointed or let down, and Lord, any area of their life, but especially toward you, may the message this morning encourage them. If someone here today is not believed in you as life and put their faith in you as life. May today be the day they do that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You ever had your expectations shattered by someone you deeply trusted? If you're um, older than 18, you probably have. If you're younger than 18, there's still probably a good chance you have. But to live... Amongst sinners means you're going to have people let you down. People are not going to meet the expectation that you set for them. About a year after Angela and I got married, I was finishing up my first year of teaching in the Christian school. Now, if you know anything about Christian schools, you know a couple of things. One, they don't pay a whole lot of money. They don't charge a lot in tuition, and so in turn they can't pay their teachers a whole lot. And teaching in a Christian school is generally a secondary income. It's meant to be more of a secondary income. Um, however, I was not providing a secondary income. I was providing the income on a secondary income. And so Angela and I were working there together. We were pulling in just barely enough to cover our bills. And so we got through the first year and uh, careful budgeting and planning. We had a couple of dollars in the bank, and I mean like $2.37. It wasn't much. Um, and uh, you'll know anything else about Christian schools. You know that most of them work on a nine-month pay scale. It is a nine-month contract, and they don't pay you during the summer. And so come March and April, I began to look for secondary pay, so uh, a job that I could have during the summer, which is a tricky thing. You don't want to go to an employer and make them think that you're going to work for them forever and quit three months in. So you need to tell them up front it's going to be a three-month job, and then finding someone who's willing to take you in on those terms can be a challenge. There was a man who attended church there who owned a cleaning company. I'll leave him nameless. 
uh, for uh, obvious reasons. But uh, this man came to me and he said to me, he said, uh, we clean apartments in between residents and I, uh, my business is growing and I need a supervisor. Are you willing to come in and be a supervisor during the summer? Summer months are busy because that's the time people move. And so there were a higher number of apartments to clean. He said to me, he said, I will pay you $15 per hour, and I will work you a minimum of 40 hours a week. And so I did the math, and I said, uh, while I'm not going to get rich off of this endeavor, this will pay the bills, and my wife won't have to work. He said, there will be weeks where I work you more than 40 hours. He was, um, uh, he was a, a man of importance within the church, and so um, based on that, I knew he wasn't going to work me during uh, church services because uh, he went to church services, and, and I, uh, I figured I could trust him, and so we shook hands on it. We had what we'd call a handshake deal at $15 an hour with a minimum of 40 hours a week. Now, the work was hard. The um, apartments we were cleaning were in rough sections of town. You'd pop the stove top up, and there'd be grease an inch and a half thick inside the stove because the people never cleaned it and ate a lot of greasy foods. And, and uh, you would spend two or three hours just scrubbing out the stove so that the next person would view it as clean when they moved in. Uh, we saw all kinds of nasty things. One apartment, there was a dead body that had been rotting in there for a long time, and they there were maggots involved, and... And um, uh, they did a lot of the biohazard-type cleanup before we came in, but it was still awful. Uh, it was terrible, terrible work. Uh, well, while the work was hard, the pay uh, uh, was supposed to be good enough to handle our bills. I remember uh, getting my first paycheck and being disappointed, greatly disappointed. My pay somehow went from a $15 an hour handshake to $12 an hour. And instead of working 40 hours a week, I'd only been worked 30 hours a week. And apparently they had lost an account about the time I was hired. And, um, and he, on his own, on the fly, changed my pay by $3 an hour. I wasn't going to be able to pay the bills on 25 to 30 hours a week and $12 an hour. And so I went to him and I said, I called his name, I said, What happened? We agreed to this. He said, I, I never said that. And I said, yes, you did. And I said, you told me 40 hours a week. He said, well, I didn't guarantee it. I said, you did guarantee it. And I said, if you don't have it, I understand that. But to not tell me and uh, to um, uh, underwork me and underpay me, I can't pay my bills. You say, well, pastor, what did you do? Well, I had no other job prospects. So I made the best of the situation I could. I worked for him. I took whatever he'd, he'd give me. And I, um, I did not let my heart grow bitter toward him. In fact, I love him and his wife today. Uh, I was very disappointed, though. Very disappointed. In fact, we had to resort to taking out credit cards that summer just to be able to pay our bills. And when I say we weren't living lavishly, we weren't living lavishly. The apartment we lived in was in a very bad part of town. It was the cheapest apartment we could find. Uh, Angela, I believe, was expecting Matthew at this point or would soon be expecting Matthew. The FBI kicked in the door of the guy below us for being uh, 
I don't know if he's a serial murderer, but had killed more than one person in Baltimore and was living directly below us. I wasn't home when that happened. They uh, knocked on the door and they said, um, they said, uh, ma'am, you're not in trouble. She said, good, you didn't catch me. <laughs> they said, we want to go through and see the layout of your apartment because we believe it's the same as the one below you, so we know how to get in and get in. And so they had, like, sniper rifles all around the building. And um, they, they, they kicked the door in and went in through the windows and had the guy on his back and in cuffs in, like, three seconds. And no one was allowed to use the, um, uh, leave the building. I was, found out later, I was nervous someone would have shot up through the ceiling, right? But uh, everyone was safe. So the point I'm making is we weren't living lavishly. All of our furniture was used. I think we got our, our mattress given to us. We were sleeping on the floor on the mattress, and we found a bed frame next to a dumpster somewhere and used that. Uh, we were getting our groceries at the cheapest spot in town, and uh, we had our utilities at minimum, but we still went into credit card debt, uh, and it took us years to dig ourselves out. The point I'm getting at is that our expectations weren't met. We were greatly disappointed, and it hurt us. It hurt us in the wallet for quite a while, and it hurt our spirits. As I tell that story, it has, a, has a, a, a situation of great disappointment and unmet expectations come to your mind in your life? That ever something like that ever happened to you? Maybe it was relational, not financial. Maybe it was a health thing. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever felt like God's ever let you down? You ever felt like God let you down? You had an expectation? You prayed? You just knew things were going to work a certain way? And God just didn't come through for you? Maybe something happened to you and you were a kid or you got into a marriage and the person wasn't who you thought they were. And You know, Satan's really good at getting other people's sin and making us believe that it's God's fault. He's really good at that. Sometimes we rationalize that, um, that it was no human being's fault per se, so God has let me down. Have you ever found yourself upset with God over his actions or inactions? Have you ever wondered why he didn't step up and take control of his situation? I think of the parents today who have their children in a hospital with cancer and their children are going through chemotherapy and uh, it's terminal type cancer and they're watching a six-year-old boy or a four-year-old girl struggle to take their final breaths and they wonder why God does not step up and take action. I think of a, a little boy or a girl that's taken advantage of by an abusive father and a mom who wonders why God won't step in and make the situation better. Have you ever wondered how it is that you could be so devoted to God? You're devoted to Him by going to church and you're devoted to him by living a Christian lifestyle and you're devoted to him by uh, uh, reading your Bible and and praying and having an intimate walk with him. And then uh, he seemingly was absentee at the time that you needed him most. Can I tell you if that's how you feel today, that is exactly how Mary and Martha felt. This may uh, have been how Lazarus felt. As he was laying on his deathbed, taking his last breath, and Jesus was absentee. He was absentee. Was Jesus informed about Lazarus being sick? Yes. Did he do anything about it? Seemingly at first, 
No. No. He sat on his hands. He stood by and let Lazarus die. Let me ask you this. How did you respond when you felt betrayed or neglected or forgotten by your God when you were in that terrible spot? How did you respond? You say, Pastor, I've never been disappointed by God. Live the Christian life long enough. At some point, He's not going to come through for you the way that you think He should. Just, it's just how it happens. You say, well then, Pastor, in that moment, I'll be wrong for the feelings I have uh, toward God. And while that might be true, your feelings are still your feelings, and you need to have a plan on how to deal with that. I'm here to tell you that no matter how bleak or final you think your situation is, when you let Jesus come to town, things can dramatically change quickly. I believe that God allows bad things to happen to people He loves so that He can step up and show Himself strong to a doubting and to a faithless, blasphemous world. God wants to take the tragedy of your situation and He wants to do something marvelous with you. And He wants to do something marvelous through you to the hurting, lost world around you. Let's not forget the promise that we looked at last Sunday. Let's not forget about this promise and that if God makes a promise, He always, every single time, comes through on His promise. Romans 8.28, if you know it, say it with me. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. We're going to jump in this morning and look at five thoughts as uh, we dwell on this story of Lazarus and the tomb as we consider this topic, when Jesus comes to town. When Jesus comes to town. Point number one this morning, notice the death of Lazarus. The death of Lazarus. Turn over with me to John 11. You're already there. Look at verse number one. It says, now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany, by the way, was a suburb of Jerusalem, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sister sent unto him, saying, his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now, notice here that the name Lazarus is not used, but a family friend is sent to Jesus and simply told, He whom thou lovest. He whom thou lovest. Lazarus was not just some acquaintance, was not just some distant friend. Lazarus was someone who Jesus personally and intimately and deeply loved and cared for. Now, I did some digging and some searching and some trying to understand the relationship of Jesus and these siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, to understand where their relationship started and what details the Bible gives us about how it developed. And we really don't know. John 11 is really the first place in the Bible where you find the three of them mentioned. And when we first find them, we see that this relationship is deep and well-established. My guess is that as Jesus traveled in and out of Jerusalem, he was looking for places to stay along the way, that he must have stayed in this family's house quite a bit, spent the night there, 
ate with them, talked with them, fellowshiped with them, loved them, counseled them, helped them through some very difficult times. And Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were very, very, very close to Jesus. And so Jesus is all the way over in Galilee. He's a several days journey away from where they are. And word is sent to Jesus that Lazarus is sick and is nigh unto death. Skip down with me to verse number 11. John chapter 11, verse number 11. These things saith he, Jesus, and after that he saith unto them, Jesus speaking to his disciples here, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he'll be just fine. He shall do well. Verse 13, however, Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then saith Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. Um, I think sometimes as Christians we lose perspective on what death is and what it is not. Over and over and over again in the Bible you find Jesus speaking of someone who died that he's getting ready to raise from the dead. He refers to them as sleeping. Remember the little girl that Jesus went in her room and raised her from the dead? He said, she's asleep. She's asleep. Now, why would Jesus say that someone who is physically dead is just asleep? Because Jesus isn't looking at death from the same perspective that you and I look at death. We look at death as being a casket and someone whose uh, uh, vital organs have stopped working and they're no longer breathing and they're cold to the touch and we maybe embalm them and we put them in a nice set of clothes and we hold a funeral service for them. Jesus looks at a funeral here on earth and looks at that body in that casket And he says, they're not dead, they're just asleep. Why is it that he sees it that way? Because he knows that one day that that asleep body is going to wake up and be taken to heaven forever. And Jesus has the eternal perspective that we don't have. However, Jesus looked at it as though he was asleep and everyone else saw Lazarus. Painfully, they saw him as dead. Number one, the death of Lazarus. Number two, notice the delay of the master. The delay of the master. He said, well, pastor, I can see this. Jesus is in Galilee, several days away from Lazarus. Word comes to Jesus that Lazarus is dying. Pastor, he probably got up and walked all the way. They didn't have modern transportation. He didn't fly or, or take a car. They probably walked all the way there. And by the time they got there, he was dead. And so what's the big deal? How can they really be that disappointed with Jesus? Well, look at verse number four. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. They told Jesus that Lazarus was sick, and Jesus said, okay, all right. Hey, the guy you love is dying. All right, I understand that. Hey, aren't you going to get a move on, Jesus? Nope, I'm going to stay right here. But he's dying. i got things to do in town. And when I'm good and ready, I will pick myself up and I will move myself to Bethany. But he's dying any day. I understand it will be okay. It will be all right. Jesus delayed. Jesus delayed. i got to tell you, I have felt this way many times in prayer. Jesus, my situation is urgent. 
I've got this deadline. I've got to meet. And I need you to step up big. Cricket. 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 Hey, you know, um, uh, there's someone in the church, Lord, they're really sick. And, and I mean, they're like dying sick. And I feel like I'm praying to the wall. That no one's replying. Hey, Lord, uh, I've got this financial deadline at the church that we really need to meet. And we've got these bills that we need to pay. We've got these missions checks that need to be cut. We've got a, 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 a bill that's looming. And, Lord, we need you to come through in a big way. And, and i got to say that, that more often than not, if not every time, God comes through. But something I've learned about God is that he's never early on anything. Never early. In fact, he usually waits the last second and boom, he drops it in. He's right on time. And by the way, he's right on time by his schedule, not my schedule. I have my timeline and he has his timeline. And I have learned the two don't always line up. The delay of the master. Some of you this morning are praying and praying and praying and praying. And you say, Pastor, I've prayed and prayed about this and I know I'm praying the right prayer. I know that my desire, the desire of my heart is right. I know that what I'm praying is biblical, but I feel like I'm getting nowhere. Well, the first thing I tell you to do is make sure that not only your sins are confessed, but that you have no ought in your heart against a brother or sister in Christ. Because if you've not forgiven others their transgressions, God's not going to forgive your transgressions. And if you have sin in your heart, God isn't even hearing your prayer. So make sure that you're confessed this way and make sure you're confessed this way. And once you've done those things, you pray hard and you say, well, pastor, I've done those things and I'm praying and I feel like I'm not getting a reply. It may be that Jesus is doing the same thing to you that he did to Mary, Martha and Lazarus. It may be that Jesus is abiding where he is and not answering your prayer because he has a bigger plan in mind where he's going to give a whole lot of glory to God through your circumstance. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Number one, we looked at the death of Lazarus. Number two, the delay of the master. Number three, the debate with Martha. The debate with Martha. So Jesus, after he hangs around a couple of days in Galilee, he gets up and he walks to Jerusalem. By the way, Jesus going to Jerusalem was a very dangerous endeavor at this point. This would be one of the last things Jesus would do prior uh, to um, dying on the cross. This trip from Galilee to Jerusalem would be the last trip he would make to Jerusalem from Galilee. And after his arrival, you find the events set in place where he is arrested and killed. And so him getting up and going to Jerusalem, he knew that the angry, pharisaical wolves were waiting, uh, in the, it, lurking for him there, waiting for him to come around so that they could have him and kill him. So Jesus' going there was of great danger to his own life and would end up taking his life. But when he arrived... And he arrived late by human standards. He met one of, uh, of Lazarus' sisters who was um, pretty put out with Jesus. She was pretty put out with Jesus. She felt the way that some of us feel when God doesn't work on our schedule. John chapter 11, look at verse number 20. Then Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here... My brother had not died. Did you hear the accusation in her voice? If you'd have here, my brother would still be alive. Then she kind of cleans it up a little bit. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it freely. 
Jesus answered her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, and she had some Bible doctrine down here, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Then he makes it personal. Believest thou this? Do you believe this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come to the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. Let me give you a letter in A and a B here. Letter A, her careful accusation. Her careful accusation. Now, Mary knew that she wasn't just talking to anybody. At the least, Jesus was a great prophet. Um, I think Mary, or rather Martha, I think she knew, uh, I think she was stuck somewhere between, is Jesus a great prophet or is he the promised Messiah of the Old Testament? And Jesus would tell her out right here in this passage, I'm not just a good man. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the promised one of Israel. I am the one that all the Old Testament prophets talked about. But I think that maybe the death of Lazarus uh, and Jesus is in action and coming. I think maybe that shook her faith just a little. And this friend of hers, this prophet uh, uh, into town was on her way there. She left the house. She's marching out of the city limits. She finds Jesus where he's at. And she lets Jesus know how disappointed she is in him. Look back at verse 20. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Then she cleans it up. But I know that even now, whatsoever that will ask of God, God will give it thee. You ever been upset with God? You ever been upset with God? Wondered why something happened or why things were going a certain way? You say, Pastor, is it appropriate for me to go and tell God how upset I am? God would rather have you tell him how upset you are than tell someone else how upset with him you are. The book of Psalm, David takes his complaints to the Lord. Over and over and over again, David flat out tells God, Where are you? Why are you letting this happen? And God recalls raw data of David just being raw in his emotions. Raw in his emotions. Now, it's okay to take your complaint to the Lord as long as you're reverent in doing it. And I believe that's what Martha was trying to do here. She's trying to walk a line between telling God, I don't, or Jesus, I don't know why you weren't here. But Jesus, I know that if you can ask God, he'll do it. Now, where was Martha's accusation broken? Or rather, her understanding broken? She, she thought that Jesus needed to call on God to do something great. She forgot that Jesus was God. He didn't need to ask. He just do it himself. Her careful accusation, let her be noticed, his calming assurance. His calming assurance. Look down at verse 23. And again, Martha has said, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And if you call on God, God can give you anything you want. Look at verse 23. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Hey, Mary, Martha, don't be despondent. Your brother's going to rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
Hey, you know, I remember the time, Jesus, you sat in my house and you taught us the doctrine of your return, the rapture, the uh, the, the rising of the saints and how the dead in Christ would rise. And, and I know that you've taught us that, Jesus. I fully understand that. And I know one day my brother's dead body is going to come out of the ground and he's going to live in heaven forever. I'm aware of that, Jesus. But that doesn't take away the hurt that I'm feeling right now from the loss of my brother that's dead. Jesus saith unto her in verse 25, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, shall never die. You say, Pastor, that verse is inaccurate. I have loved ones that are dead. And I'd say, no, they're just asleep in Jesus, waiting for the trump to sound, and they're all going to raise again and be in heaven forever with the Lord. Let me say this to you here today as well, is that Jesus is life. He is life. Um, of, a, of a truth... One day, we're all going to draw our last breath on earth. Our, our bodies of flesh are going to give, up, give out and die. That day is coming for each of us. I, I hope I don't die today. I've got a wife to live for. I've got children to raise. I've got a church to pastor and love. Boy, I love doing all of those things. But the day's going to come where I die. The day's going to come where you die. In fact, there was a poll conducted, and the poll came back, 10 out of 10 people die. <laughs> I think that's a statistic we can believe and believe is true, isn't it? There's one thing about death that's certain, is that none of us like to talk about it or think about it. In fact, if you stop someone on the street and you ask them where they're going to go when they die, a lot of people begin to squirm. They don't like that question. Because we do everything we can to avoid the topic and avoid the thought. But Jesus is life. And when you turn to Jesus and understand that you are a sinner and that that sin is what's going to put your body in the grave, that as a sinner you're living under the curse of of sin and the condemnation or the eternal punishment of sin. Jesus can be your resurrection. He can be your life. Let me, be, let me put it this way. It's not enough for me to say that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is my resurrection. Jesus is my life because I have met the prerequisite of the verse. What is it? He that believeth in me shall never die. Let me just put it on the bottom shelf here. If you've never believed in Jesus to be your Savior, then you're going to die and go to hell eternally. If you have believed in Jesus to be your Savior, then He's given you eternal life. And while your flesh may stop uh, breathing and communicating with humanity for a time, Jesus is going to come again and He's going to awake that asleep body and He's going to give you eternal life forever. And I'll ask you the way Jesus asked Martha. Believest thou this? Do you believe that? If so, then you need to exercise your faith. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. Don't debate with Jesus. Don't debate with Him. 
Jesus is here to say, let me offer you a calming, offer you a calming assurance that my grace is sufficient. My grace will cover anything you've done. You say, Pastor, you don't know the atrocities I've committed in my life. You don't know the deep sin I've committed. You don't know how I've wronged people and hurt people. And I'm here today to tell you that Jesus became every single sin when He died on the cross. There is no action that could send a person to hell other than the action of unbelief. If you choose to look up at Jesus dying on the cross in your mind's eye and say, I don't want that, or I don't want to fully accept that and that alone, then you're going to split hell wide open. Because you've rejected the free gift of eternal life. You say, but pastor, I'm not worthy of it. None of us are worthy of it. You don't get saved because you're worthy. You get saved, you get your sins forgiven, you get given the gift of eternal life because He is worthy. And He offers it freely, and it's free to anyone who's willing to accept. Martha comes running out of, uh, of the house in Bethany. She meets Jesus as He's on the outskirts of the town. And she says to Him, she says... If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Frustrated with Jesus, upset with Jesus. And Jesus debates her intellectually. And then Martha goes back home. Jesus stays where he was, maybe getting a quick rest before he comes into town, praying and talking to his heavenly Father. And Mary comes out, and she's heartbroken. Number four, notice the disappointment of Mary. The disappointment of Mary. There are some of you here today, you are more... Uh, logical in your prayer time. When you pray, you logic with God. How many of you are that way? When you pray, you like to logic. You're a logical prayer. Do you, none of you logic in your prayer time with God? You don't logic at all? You don't try to out-logic God, but you use logic while you pray. Anybody that way this morning? Okay. How many of you are more emotional in your prayer time? You take your burdens to the Lord in prayer and you're emotional in your reproach. I do both. I do both. Okay. I'm probably more logical than emotional. I woke up, um, <laughs> so this week I went to Alabama. I rented a house. Things down there are very cheap. I rented a house for less than $100 a day, the entire house. A beautiful house. And I did that because it had a kitchen, and I didn't have to eat out every day. I got to cook for myself. You say, Pastor, you cook? No. <laughs> but I tried. I woke up... Um, I had to wake up really early yesterday to get to the airport. And um, I had spent a lot of time in prayer while I was away. And I woke up yesterday morning, and I was sick to my stomach. You say, why were you sick to your stomach? Because I had cooked for myself for three days. (laughs) And I bought some ice cream and had that at night. That probably didn't help either. Um, I got in the car, and I'm driving to the airport, and I started talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, can I just be honest with you? I don't feel like praying right now. I feel sick! I didn't get any sleep. I woke up at 3.30 in the morning to get to the airport. And I said, but I'm going to pray because it's the right thing to do, not because I feel like it. Mary came to Jesus very emotional. Very emotional. Martha came to logic with Jesus. Mary came emotional with Jesus. Mary, who was devout, devoted to Jesus, loved him deeply. She felt very betrayed that Jesus didn't show up. Look at verse 32 of John 11. The Bible says, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was, And saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? 
Then she said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Let her A notice her shattered expectations. Her shattered expectations. Let her A. Look back at verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Was Mary wrong to expect Jesus to come and heal her brother? I don't think she was. Was Mary wrong in her short-sightedness? Her inability to see that Jesus could come and raise her brother from the dead? Was she wrong in being short-sighted? I don't think we can throw too many stones Mary's direction, can we? If I had been in Mary's spot and I had loved all over Jesus and been a friend of Jesus and my sibling had died and Jesus came walking into town, I think my expectations would have been a little crushed as well. I would have expected Jesus to be there and to help me and to love me as I had been there for Him and devoted to Him and I had dumped my my uh, uh, perfume over His feet and washed His feet as she did with her hair. And she's wondering, Jesus, I love You and I'm devout to You and in my greatest time of need, You were absent and she came and she found herself at the feet of Jesus what was the difference between Martha and Mary well I would say the first thing that was probably different was their tone Martha came with an accusatory tone if you would have been here my brother wouldn't have died and Mary came and crumbled at the feet of Jesus and she said through tears streaming down her cheeks if you would have just been here my brother would still be living Jesus didn't engage Mary with debate. Jesus engaged Mary in her emotion. I'd say the other thing that was different was Mary's body language. You know, every time you find this Mary in the Bible, you find her on her knees at the feet of Jesus. Every time. In fact, there's four times in the Gospels where this Mary is on her knees at the feet of Jesus worshiping Him. You know where she was? She was subservient to him. She was loving on him. She was submissive to him. Her heart was broken. Jesus had not been there. And Jesus was not going to get all over Mary and say, Mary, do you not believe? Don't you understand? Though Martha came with a different posture, she probably stood, her arms are crossed, her, her brow was furrowed, and she said, if you'd have been here, my brother hadn't died. Mary crumbled on her knees and wept and said, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus met both of them where they were and loved them for how they were. And Jesus saw her broken heart and he wept. No, he didn't weep because Lazarus was dead. He wept because Mary was heartbroken. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Your heartbreak, your hurt, your expectations that have been dashed. You're not understanding where Jesus was at a critical moment of your life. You're wondering how He could seemingly be so absent in your time of need. It might crush you. It might hurt you. It might bring you to a place of not understanding God. And I'd say that you don't need to feel guilty about those uh, feelings. You just need to take your broken heart to God and say, God, I don't understand. Will you help me to understand? God will look down on you and He'll weep with you 
the way He wept with Mary. He'll meet you at your need. Number five, and lastly, notice the dramatics of the resurrection. The dramatics of the resurrection. I love this story. Look at John 11, verse 36. Then said the Jews, these were the, uh, the Israelites that had been uh, friends of Mary and Martha and Lazarus who came along to help weep with them. And if you know the culture, they would even hire people at times to weep with them. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him, how he loved Lazarus. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? And they're saying, if Jesus hadn't been here, Jesus had been here, he wouldn't have died. They're, they're, now they're hurling accusations at Jesus. Verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha's going to get intellectual with Jesus again. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. You want to move the stone away? He's dead or he's going to stink. For he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, again meeting her where she is, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. He said, I'm not praying because we haven't talked in a while. I'm praying so the people here know who to give the credit to. When he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. Bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary uh, uh, and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Jesus says, Take me to the tomb. They walk him to the tomb. Jesus says, Remove the stone away from the sepulcher. Martha says, Why are you going to do that? Don't you know he's been dead four days and he stinks? And Jesus looks at her and said, Didn't I tell you that if you would just believe, something incredible is going to happen. And God's going to get the glory. Roll that stone away. They move the stone out of the way. And Jesus stops and he looks up to heaven and he prays. He says, Lord, I'm not praying because you need me to pray. I'm praying so the people here know to give you the glory. And then he cries out. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And they had mummified Lazarus. And I don't know if he walked out or if he floated out. But he came out of that tomb. I got to tell you, if you weren't a believer in Jesus, you're either going to bow down and worship or you're going to run for the hills. Here comes a dead man out of the tomb. And they're all standing there with their mouths gaped open. And Lazarus is like, can someone help me out here? And Jesus says, hey, go unmummify the guy. Get, get him loose. Let him walk around. You know, um, I know that Mary and Martha were ecstatic to have their brother back. But I have to think Lazarus was like, now, Jesus, why'd you have to go do that? I was in a much better place. Why'd you have to bring me back to this world of sickness and infirmity? Here's what I want you to take from this today. 
if Jesus is delayed in answering your prayer, and he's not met your timeline, it's because he has something greater in mind than you do. You say, well, pastor, I'm just not seeing it. And I would say, be patient and trust. Be patient and trust. God's going to bring something great out of your problem. And what is the end result? Look back down at the end of verse 45. It says, well, let's look at verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Believed on him. Who got the glory out of this? God did. Who got saved out of this? Many people that witnessed and questioned and critiqued and criticized and complained. Where was Jesus when, when, when Lazarus was sick? How come he wasn't there? How come he didn't come through? Just a few minutes later, these people are on their knees calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. And they believed on Him. Do you know that the trials and the pain and the hurt that you go through in your life, if you'll stay trusting, if you'll stay faithful, while your heart will hurt, while at times you'll lack understanding and perspective, you keep walking the right walk, you keep talking the right talk, you keep bearing your heart to the Lord, you keep trusting, you keep believing, and one day Jesus is going to come through in a way that will impress many and folks will be saved. And not that you'll get the credit, but boy, He'll get the credit. What if Mary and Martha had told Jesus off at the edge of town and told him to get lost? They would have never experienced the miracle they experienced. Don't quit when times get tough. Stay faithful. Stay trusting. If you're a person of logic, go to God with your logic and shut your mouth and open your heart and let him logic back and I promise you he'll win. If you're a person of emotion, take your emotions to the Lord and he will weep with you. And he will love all over you. But when Jesus comes to town, when Jesus comes to the town of your heart, boy, miracles happen. Don't keep them away. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. How many here this morning?